Folks, we don't talk about it much in our podcasts, but our Effective Manager Conference, our Effective Communications Conference, and our Effective Interviewer Conference are all available to be delivered in-house at your corporation, your firm, your organization. We have over a 1,000 clients the world over on all the continents except Antarctica who have paid us to travel to them, customize our training, and deliver more focused training uh, without the opportunity cost of individuals traveling. Uh, depending upon the size of the group, you can save some money. And again, totally tailored to your culture, your company, your people. If there's somebody in your firm that we need to talk to, let us know or have them contact us. We look forward to it. Welcome to Manager Tools. Our guidance on planning an offsite. Part two, writing your RFP. Here we go. Okay, Dana, let's talk about writing an RFP. People just don't realize this, right? They just expect yes. to be able to call a hotel and, huh, hey, you got a bunch of rooms? Sure, we got a bunch of rooms. So no problem. But you start you start tying up a bunch of rooms at the hotel, and the hotel wants some sort of guarantee. They want to understand that you're not just going to cancel the last minute. Every hotel that you talk to is going to want to know pretty much the same details about your meeting. Uh, and by the way, RFP stands for, that's hotel lingo, for request for proposal. I think um, it's a little bit more than uh, hotel. Yeah. Uh, yeah. As soon as I said that, I thought, ah, it's, pretty, it's pretty universal, right? Yeah. So what we recommend is you go ahead and put that RFP together and have it prepared ahead of time before you start contacting hotels. So some of the things that you're going to want to include in that is how many people are going to be at the meeting, how many days the meeting is going to last, and if you're going to have sleeping rooms, how many nights for the sleeping rooms, Right. how much meeting space you're going to need, what size room roughly you're going to need, what meals are going to be provided, Again, for how many people, sometimes you might have more or less people at different meals, depending on your agenda. All of those types of things. The more detail that you can put in there about your meeting, you might even want to attach a rough agenda of your meeting uh, as well. Having it ahead of time will make it a lot easier for you when you contact the hotel and make sure that they all, to make sure they all have the same information for when you start getting the proposals and the, and the bids back. You okay. don't want to have to be going back and forth with the hotel saying, oh, I forgot to tell you about this piece or that piece. Right. Now, it just occurred to me that licensees are going to enjoy their benefit of having written versions of show notes. Um, for those of you who don't know, every Manager Tools show has detailed show notes prepared for it in advance. I think most other podcasts, nothing against them. There are many great ones. Um, they tend to create show notes after the show, sort of a bulleted list of things they talked about, whereas ours are completely comprehensive, other than the lame jokes and the brief asides um, that Danny or I or Mike or Wendy do. Uh, our show notes are completely comprehensive and cover all the points we make in the show. Having done many RFPs and perhaps almost as many as you have, Danny, there's a lot of stuff to go over. And this is a long list. So yes. if you're driving, please don't be thinking about taking notes. Um, listen to it again later when you can take some notes about this kind of stuff. And all you have to do is write it down one time and you've got it. Or, of course, licensees will be able to just download the show notes and they'll have their RFP guidance in one handy place. And I was wondering, Mark, as you were talking about that, I wonder if it would be useful for us to post a sample of one of our RFPs for licensees. Oh, sure. Why not? Attach That's it to a the great show idea. Notes, yeah. Right? So they can kind of see. This so, is what we do. This is how yeah, we do it. Yeah, this is how we do it. 
So I'm going to go over in a little bit more detail what exactly you want to include in your RFP. So you definitely want to put your name and contact information. And the way that I typically set ours up is I put all of my information in the top left and then the hotel information on the top right. You don't have to put the hotel information on there. I have found it to be useful so that I can keep track of which hotels I'm contacting, but you may only be planning one meeting, right? I'm planning multiple meetings, so I'm contacting multiple hotels. Right, okay. But you definitely want your name, your phone number, your email address, obviously the company name as well. Okay. Then you're gonna have your dates and the times of your meeting, and you wanna make sure to include in that time any time that you need to set up for the meeting and rehearsal. For example, if your meeting starts at one, but you know that you have two and a half hours of setup, you need to include that two and a half hours in the RFP because the hotel may sell that meeting room for a morning meeting that doesn't finish until 12 o'clock. And then your two and a half hours for setup is now down to an hour. Oh, and by the way, the hotel's also going to be doing their setup for that for your meeting at that same time. Yeah, I, I, I know a number of times where hotels said, yeah, it'll be fine. And then they're do they don't tell you they're doing setup during that time. And you're basically following them around. As soon as they get a, a table ready, you're putting stuff on it and so on. Right. That said, if you have a morning meeting, typically um, you want to know when the evening the, the evening before's event finishes. And, I mean, how many hundreds of times have we presented on a Tuesday and we're sitting up Monday at 10 o'clock at night? You know, probably you're flying in at 4 o'clock because you don't want to be on the last flight of the day. Great, fine. Um, but then you discover you get there, and if you haven't planned ahead, you discovered that they're, they're not gonna, the room's not going to be ready until 10. Fine, you can do the setup at 10, but you're going to be going to bed at 1 rather than going to bed at 9, depending upon what dates you choose and whether or not they have the room available. Okay? Right. The flip side of that is the hotel might say, you know what, we could have the room ready at 4, and you might decide to take an earlier flight so that yeah. you're there at 3, so you can be set up at 4, so you can go have dinner, get to bed at a good hour. Right? Yes, exactly. Good. Or if you absolutely have to start at a certain time, no flexibility at all, you may be willing to pay to have that room available to you at that time. They say, well, you know, we may want to sell it in the morning. Well, really, I need the morning to set up. It's a fairly complicated setup. I've got balloons. I've got this. I've got that. You may end up having to pay for that. Don't assume that you can't pay for it. There are plenty of times where you don't have to pay for it, but keep that in mind as well. Great. Next, you're going to include details about the meeting space that you need. You are, you're going to want to include the size, which may mean that you might go to some hotels in your area exactly. and get a sense for what dimensions actually look like and feel like. We'll, have, we'll talk some more about that later. And the type of setup that you're going to use. How are the actual physical tables and chairs going to be arranged in the room? And again, we're going to talk about more of that, more on that later. Right. The different types like theater and classroom and so on. Right. Yeah. Okay, good. Good. Next, you're going to detail out your food and beverage needs. This is referred to as F&B in, in the hotel <laughs> world. <laughs> oh, F&B. Okay. F&B. And you want to include the times for meals and the times for any breaks where, where snacks or beverages are going to be provided. And again, the number of people for each meal and each break. You also, we recommend that you note if the, if the meal is going to be served buffet style or plated. 
Um, buffet is typically less expensive and also faster. Faster, yeah. Which can be very, very important. And, and to tell you the truth, folks, um, you may think, ooh, then therefore because it's faster and cheaper, it might be uh, lesser quality or your audience may feel like, oh, plated is better. You know, there are some meetings that I think plated is necessary for, but I just got to tell you, Danny, I think in the last 20 years or so, they used to be always plated. Now they're much less so because of yes. budgets. And I think people accept it. Um, and if it's plated, it's much harder for the, the planner to figure out what the food allergies are and so on, rather right. than simply saying, okay, here's the gluten-free stuff in the buffet line. Um, so if you're thinking that plated is more expensive and therefore better, it may not be depending upon the audience, the, the group you have. Yeah, all kinds of additional complexities when you go to plated yeah. with yeah. identifying yeah. special meals and how are those people going to identify themselves and it just um, becomes much more much more complicated. Yep. Uh, and that was something when I first started planning meetings that surprised me. I expected buffet to be more expensive because typically buffet has more more loss, right? right more exactly. wasted food. Um, but actually, it's it's the opposite. Yeah. All right. Next, you're going to want to list the number of sleeping rooms that you're going to be using each night. And here you need to think about, are my attendees going to be sharing rooms? Or are people going to be having single rooms? Again, this is something that you'll want to talk to your meeting department, if you have one, or whoever typically does this type of thing, these types of um, uh, planning in your organization to find out if there's a policy. Again, where I've worked, it was a policy. We, you, you shared rooms. The only way you got out of sharing a room was if you paid for it yourself or if you had some type of doctor uh, medical uh, reason. And you actually had to provide a note from your doctor <laughs> to yeah. get your own sleeping room. Cost control. Yeah. Cost control. Uh, so again, that's something that you'll want to find out in advance because that will impact your your budget. Yeah. Okay. Okay. You'll want to, to detail out any AV, which stands for audiovisual needs. So are you going to need a projector? Are you an LCD? Are you going to need a screen? Are you going to need microphones? What type of microphones are you going to need? Are they going to be on a podium? Are they going to be wireless? Are they going to be lavalier uh, mic that somebody would clip on their on their jacket lapel? Um, and again, you would want to include time for rehearsal in that because you don't want the AV people coming to set up the AV right before the meeting starts and you don't get to rehearse. So you want to build all that into your planning. We typically have all of that set up the night before. We hook it all up, we test it, we position it, we make sure that, that the projector is filling the screen and all of that the night before so that the next morning, it's a done deal. We have guidance previously on using AV and presentations. I don't recall whether we talk about hotel stuff, but we do have at least one, one guidance as well about, about hotels uh, relative to presentations that we encourage you to, to look into. Uh, it has been my experience that most people are terrible about setting things up. Um, and I'll commit to everyone that we'll go back through and look at our previous guidance on hotels and on presentations and perhaps add yet more um, regarding some of the things we've learned. Like, for instance, the classic thing that hotels love to do is they give you a big table in front. There's always an extra right. table. And there's also a podium 
we happen to be anti-podium at manager tools and career tools. That's not to say that you wouldn't need a podium. If you've got somebody giving some sort of formal presentation, they may have a speech or something like that. And when I say a podium, I mean a freestanding podium. I don't mean a raised dais where there might be plenty of room. And I have found that oftentimes the, the table that the projector goes on, even though plenty of times they're now in the ceiling, the table the projector goes on is so big, huge. it limits all kinds of things, like a presenter who moves around, which please tell us you're moving around if you're presenting as opposed <laughs> to standing behind a podium. Okay, sorry, that's a little too detailed on AV, okay? I'll also include a side note here that you may be using some of your own AV, and so if you're going to, for example, bring your own projector, but you're going to use the hotel screen, you'll want to specify that. You'll want to say screen will provide our own projector because some hotels will assume that if you're saying, if you list out the screen on the RFP, they'll just automatically assume, oh, they want a projector and a screen. And so then they're going to give you pricing for the projector when you are going to bring your own. And yeah. that, again, will mess up your, your pricing. Yeah. Okay, good. You're going to also list out the preferred billing method. Do you want to uh, pay by credit card or are you going to pay by check? And this is something that I have noticed not very much consistency on. <laughs> really? Yeah. I think most people listening would assume that it was, of course, credit card. I think that's, that's more standard than it used to be. Uh, when I first started planning meetings 15 years ago, it was much more standard to um, submit a bill and pay by check. Uh, but it's some, some hotels, even if you say, I'll provide you the credit card in advance, they still will have you go through a credit check process. Yeah. Some just say, oh no, just give us the credit card. Um, some say, we don't want your credit card in advance, but you have to provide it the day of the meeting, which I assume has to do with security that they don't want to be saving credit card numbers. Is, is now a good time, Danny, to talk generally about I'm happy to wait to talk generally about hotels and our experience with them broadly in this. Sure. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, Folks, it's been our experience that th there are some wonderful hotel chains in the, in the world. Uh, and generally speaking, if you share, stay at a Sheraton or a Marriott or an Intercontinental or Ritz-Carlton or wherever it is, or, or even an Embassy Suites or a Doubletree or a Motel 6 for that matter, there are many, many hotel chains where you can pretty well assume that one hotel in that chain is very similar to another in terms of the services provided. Um, there are some hotels that generally don't have meeting rooms, some that do, um, some that have higher-end services, some that don't. However, the hotel as a physical thing that is the same says nothing about the people that actually provide you the service. Yes, an Intercontinental will have big enough meeting rooms, and Marriott will certainly have big enough meeting rooms as an example. We happen to be fans of Marriott generally because of how well-managed the company is. Um, but in many cases we go, many places we go, there's not a Marriott. What's interesting about this though, is you may find that service varies widely if you're booking multiple hotels. If you get into the habit of doing this, if you're doing three or four hotels, for instance, over the course of a year or a quarter or something like that, don't assume that every Marriott will be the same. And that's because the people change. I mentioned Marriott, they're actually kind of a bad example for this because in fact, they tend to keep people longer. But as a general rule, even a hotel that's not part of a chain 
can have some turnover. And for a year, you'll have some housemen, the people who are helping you set up your room and maybe involved in setting out food or something like that. But generally, the setup of the room and the teardown of the room and the cleaning of the room and so on. Um, you can have a great houseman who you should tip because he or she is so good. And then all of a sudden, you'll have a terrible one. And it's the same hotel. And your experience can be, it could go from a 10 out of 10 to a 5 out of 10 very quickly. So be careful about misunderstanding the difference between the physical place you're going to and being able to predict that one embassy suites is very much like another one in terms of the types of rooms they have. So you can go to one in Washington, D.C. and then predict what the one in Dallas will roughly be like, even though you'll still want to see layouts of the room and sizes and so on. But that doesn't mean you'll have the same experience. There are some hotels that have great GMs and great staffs and wonderful, and everybody stays and then there are places who turn people over and you'll get nothing but terrible service year after year after year uh, it's very hit and miss it is an ongoing battle for us it cannot be assumed it simply can't uh, i would like to say it could be but it can't and so all of the guidance we're giving you you can follow this process and you're still going to get 20 to 30 percent variation within a name and, and and for the record hotels a very good friend of mine is a very senior executive in a very well-known hotel uh chain and he he tells me he says look there's ownership who owns it which may be a wealthy individual then there's the flag, which is the brand name, and then there's a management company, and right. then there may be a franchise involved as well. And that complexity means we have been trying for 20 years, I've been trying for 20 years to choose one hotel chain to get some benefit for them and for us in terms of the hundreds of events, hundreds of events we schedule every year. And we have never been able to do it. And people at, at corporate say, sure, you should be able to do it. And they never have and we're quite willing to pay a premium for it to make it easy for us and it never seems to work so caution absolutely i i would say that 65 to 70 percent of my evaluation of a hotel when i say oh that's a good property we want to go back there or no yeah. we don't want to go back there is the staff <laughs> the people yeah. and only 30 percent is the room the food you know that that the location that type of stuff yep uh, good we have we have one property that's if you looked at it you would probably think it's nothing special it's nice it's clean but it's a little outdated and it's my absolute favorite property to go to because of the staff yeah and we've had great staff we've been going there for three years and we have the same staff every time for every meeting um, the, the banquet staff um, and the AV staff. And that's why I love it. And they know us and they do a great job. Yeah, good. Okay. Okay. Finally, you'll want to include a copy of your agenda. Now, it doesn't have to be a down-in-the-weeds specific agenda. It might not be the specific agenda you provide to the attendees. You might not have that specific of an agenda at this point, but anything just to give them an idea of yeah. what your starting times are when your breaks are going to be that type of thing just helps them plan their staffing. Um, if you have a uh, hundred people coming, for example, for a meeting and you have a break from 10 to 10, 15, they're going to need to have several people on staff ready to go in that 15 minutes to come in and, and refresh the room, take out all the dirty dishes, re replenish the water pitchers, that type of thing. 
And so the more information you can give them in advance, the better. I think also providing this level of detail communicates something to the hotel about your knowledge of how they work. And I think that helps get you better service, right? When they know that you kind of know what you're doing, right. it's not your first rodeo, <laughs> um, then uh, you get uh, better better service. That's been my experience. Okay. All right. So that's the list of everything that to include in your RFP. So we told you we were going to um, come back and talk some more detail about the meeting space. People set up meetings wrong all the time. And I'll wait because I know you've got a lot to share, but I have a couple of points I want to make as well that just just a fundamental misunderstanding of what meetings are and why they work and don't work and so on. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll say this as an overview or kind of a, a general philosophy about meeting space. Do not feel like you have to set up your meeting room or that you have to use the meeting space, the size of the room that the hotel, hotel dictates. Yes. Uh, right. You need to make that decision yourself. So that's kind of our overarching guidance. It's really a good idea to be as specific as you possibly can in your RFP about what your needs are around the, uh, around the meeting room. And hotels, they, they're going to have their own capacity numbers. Every meeting room you go into in a hotel, there's a placard in that room that says capacity for this room is X number of people. Um, and they're going to try and tell you what they think the best setup for that room is. They're going to say, well, you, you want to have this room set up in classroom or you want to have this room set up in rounds or theater. Uh, and if you don't tell them up front, this is how we want the room set up and this is the size room we want, they're going to try and put you in the smallest room that they can based on the estimated number of attendees that you've given them. It's not that they're wrong for doing this. No, they're, it's they're not wrong. bad. They're, they're maximizing their asset. Right. And they're assuming that if you have a particular thing in mind, you'll know to tell them, no, they're going to be taking extensive notes. We can't have theater style. It's got to be classroom. But they're trying to fit more people into a smaller room so they can have more rooms available for sale to other people. And they know they can't charge you twice as much for two rooms for your event because they also worry about not selling a room. And it's simply a clash of goals. Their goal is to maximize their asset, to rent as much of it as, out as they can every time at the best possible price. And more meetings in smaller rooms is better for them. Right. Whereas what you want, what your goal is, the experience of the group. And the fact is a hotel, well, an AV person giving you guidance about what your slide should look like. I'm sorry. You're not a presenter. Why would you, you know, oh, well, you need animation. You're nuts. That's like <laughs> Joe, my uncle, the, the guy who retired from the railroad saying this is what a resume should look like. So, yeah, I'll tell you, you got to start by asking yourself, what's the purpose of the day as opposed to, oh, well, the hotel says we need this. This is the only room they have that's available. By the way, that's probably not true. But in addition, then they'll say, and therefore, with this many people, you'll have to set it up this way. And now you've got people sitting in rounds with one presenter at the front and half the people in the rounds in circular tables have their back to the speaker. It's worse I, don't, I don't get that. Yeah. Yeah. The worst. I've done two client days in the last month with that setup. Oh, it's oh. horrible. Horrible. And you tell you, we're not going to tell a client, oh, you, you're, you're setting it up wrong. No. There's no, actually, there is one thing worse. You said it's the worst. It's the second worst. I'll tell you what the worst is in a little bit. Okay. <laughs> okay. 
And one more thing. One more thing about, yeah. about room size. Guys, we almost always get a gigantic room relative to what the hotel says we want. Now, we pay extra for it for our conferences. We do. We do. But we might have 20 people in a room that we could have fit 80 into. Mm -hmm. But the beauty of a room like that, it's so much more airy. It's so much more open. If you put the maximum number of people, whether it's 100 people in a 100-person room or 20 people in a 20-person room, you will not have a good meeting by the end of the day unless you have exceptional agenda with exceptionally focused people. The chances of you having a great meeting are zero. That room will get hot. It'll get stuffy. It'll get loud. It'll get dirty because the hotel staff will struggle to get in and clean it out the way you'd like. And a room feels different when you first walk in and it's fresh and shiny, shiny and new and clean than at the end of the day. At the end of the day. You, look, you look at it, take a picture beginning of the day, end of the day, you'll realize, oh my. Somebody has spilled their coffee. Yeah, I wouldn't have <laughs> wanted to walk into this room first thing in the morning. And you notice that, and you forgive all the little ones, but at the end of the day, you're kind of like, geez, I really need to get out of here. So don't be afraid to get a bigger room. Yeah, stuff like you know, every time somebody wants to get up or stand up or Ugh. go get coffee, and they, they slide their chair back, and they either hit the wall that's behind them, or they bang into the table behind them, and again, now we've got spilled coffee, um, that impacts people's experience. We, we're very particular with our room setup, and we specify six feet between rows. And I'm currently in the process of training our newest presenter, presenting associate, Kate, and she's like, why six feet? I'm like, because this way people can get up yeah. and move around during the day and slide their chair back and aren't worried about constantly hitting the people, the table of the people behind them. And so that makes a big impact in people's experience. And we have people getting up and down throughout the day. Throughout the day. For practice and, and just because they want to be able to move around. Sure. And we want them to. Yeah. If you can't do a site visit to the hotels that you're uh, considering, right, if it's not in your town that you live in or it's not in a location that you go to a lot, I mean, certainly if, if uh, for example, where I used to work, I used to go to Birmingham every week because that's where our, our um, main office was. And if I was planning a meeting in Birmingham, I could easily tack on a site visit while I was there. If that's not the case, then definitely go and check out a hotel in your town where you are. Go in on the weekend or you know morning or afternoon and say, hey, can I just take a look at the rooms and just see the dimensions so that you can get a feel of what the room feels like at those sizes. Yeah. Um, this might just be me, but I am, <laughs> I am horrible at spatial. Oh. Me too. So I uh, it's 20 by just, 40. They said they can fit 100 people in there. And you're like, yeah, I guess. They would know, right? No, right. that's not the way to think about it. And look, if you want to work with Embassy Suites and you have an Embassy Suites near you, if you tell them, I'm doing some work at an Embassy Suites in Dallas and I want to look at your meeting room, which I think it, on, your, on your website says it's about the same size, would you mind? They'll be happy to do that. Even in spite of the ownership differences and so on, they'll be happy to do that. Absolutely. All right, so let's go over now the typical options that you're going to have with a physical setup, right? How the chairs and tables are actually arranged. And we have five options, five setups that we're going to walk you through. This is where I wish okay. we had video, right? <laughs> <laughs> so the first is classroom style. And that's essentially what it sounds like. If you picture a traditional schoolroom, school classroom with rows of tables and chairs, and there's usually an aisle down the middle. 
So there would be, for example, in our setup, we have two tables on each side of the aisle. Each And each table sits two people. So there's four people on the right side. There's four people on the left side. And then we have four or five rows like that. And that's classroom. And they have, it's called classroom because they have a table like you would have a desk in a classroom. To take notes on. To take notes on. The next is theater style. It's fairly similar to classroom, except there's no table. So it's just going to simply be rows of chairs. Picture a movie theater, but probably with less comfortable chairs. Yes. <laughs> um, at least in my local movie theater, we have reclining seats and all that. But uh, it's just rows of chairs, no tables, so there's no place for people to take notes. Right. This type of setup is usually pretty typical with larger groups, like 100 plus, where there's going to be a speaker or multiple speakers on a stage or behind a podium delivering a uh, what we probably would think of as a, as a, as a presentation to the audience where there's not going to be a lot of audience interaction or an awards presentation or something like that. Okay. Next is rounds, which we already talked about how much we don't like. Uh, and this is round tables, typically eight or 10 people per table, depending on the size of the table. And most um, hotels have standard either eight foot tables or 10 foot tables. And that's 10 foot or eight foot diameter, I think. Is, is that right, Mark? No, I think it has much more to do with whether it seats eight or 10 people. Oh, I always thought it was the feet across. No. No. In, in my mind, when they say it's an eight top or a ten top, right, or it's, I, I, I don't even know what, what it takes, what the, what the diameter is. That said, they'll tell you if you ask, and I'll tell you, ten tables, tables for ten, I would almost never choose that. No. Mm -mm. They are so Horrible. big. And they're so wide, diameter-wise, that you can't talk to the people across the table from no. you. Particularly with at a lunch room where in a lunch meeting or a dinner meeting where you've got you've got utensil noise and conversation, heaven forbid you also have a speaker, you cannot talk across the table. So you end up really only having a portion of the table, the person to your left or your right that are having conversation. That's not to say there aren't meetings that that kind of thing works well for if you're having a meal, but I I would never choose ten. Okay, next is U shape. And this is tables with chairs arranged around them to form a U, where the chairs are on the outside of the U. It's actually not a U. It's a, well, it is a U, but it's a squared U. It's a U. squared U. Yeah. Yes. It's right angles. It's like three tables on either side in parallel rows. Total of six tables. Three, three tables each in parallel. And then at the base of one, at one end or another, two tables connecting them that are perpendicular to one another for a total of eight tables. And this, folks, is the worst meeting setup you could ever <laughs> choose and everyone chooses it and hotels love it because it's simple and you should not do it folks i'll tell you what you won't get the people talking across the way you you may be thinking well let's just slide the tables together okay well that's one big table then and that's probably fine but if you spread those tables apart the chance that you can have conversation between two people 12 14 feet apart and spread out and now if i and is very small plus if i'm sitting at the end of one of the rows i'm blind to everybody else in my row on one side of the u not the base 
I can see the guy to my left if I'm sitting at the end um, and there is somebody to my left, but I can't see to the person to his left or to her left. And there's a gigantic drop in energy in meetings like that. Plus, presenters will almost never walk into the middle of the U. And so it's a dead zone. Nobody talks yes. across it except the presenter. It ends up being everybody's focusing on each other, but they all have to turn to face the presenter. If you're right-handed, I want you to think of If you make a U with your, with your left and right thumb and forefinger, with your thumbs touching um, like a little goalpost, if you are at the tip of the right forefinger and the speaker is at the top of the U at a podium, for instance, if you turn 45 degrees to, to, to look at the speaker and you're right-handed, you now have to have a clipboard to take notes. Yep. If you're right-handed on the left side of the U, you're okay. But if you're left-handed on the right side, uh, if you're left-handed on the left side, you're also out of luck. It's just a horrible, don't do it. We should just not even be talking about it. It shouldn't exist. <laughs> they should kill it. It should be a law that says no more U-shapes. And hotels love them, and idiots use them. And they don't know to regret it, but they're horrible. Yes. And that's what I really think. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And the last is conference style. Uh, and this is somewhat similar to the U-shape, except there's no open end. Right. There's just tables. So it's a big square. Um, or maybe a rectangle with chairs just all around the outside. The tables form the rectangle, and then there's chairs going around the out. Or sometimes hotels, if they're really trying to push you into a small room, they'll shove, as you said, Mark, they'll shove the tables together so there's no open space in the middle. And this might be how your conference room at your office might be set up. I've seen it in a lot of conference rooms. Uh, it's kind of uh, to, to be similar to the traditional conference room, which is one big table and everybody's sitting around it, but we're forming the one big table with a bunch of little tables. You're talking about there's no gap in the middle? There's sometimes, no hole? Sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Keep in mind, guys, usually what that's designed to do is to create the existence of the head of a table, meaning the chairman or CEO or division president is going to sit at one end. Um, and sort of run the meeting. If you're not doing that, that this is probably not a good setup and definitely not a good setup if you have a hole in the center. You just won't get communication across it enough. People won't, in a big open room, just won't do it, in my experience. And, and you know, I could be wrong because I've only been setting up hotel rooms for 25 years. <laughs> We've done a lot of meetings. All right. So that is RFPs and meeting room setup. Yeah, and again, we're still only two parts the way through, and yet it's taking 30 minutes to talk through it. And yet, at the end of this, they're going to know everything they need to do, and they'll be 80% of the way there. They won't make all the mistakes that we made over the years. Awesome. Good. All right. Come back next week, folks. We're going to talk about identifying hotels and getting your RFP submitted. See you then. Bye. That's it for writing an RFP. Stay tuned next week, folks. We'll talk about identifying hotels and submitting your RFP. See you then. This podcast was produced by Manager Tools. Manager Tools creates actionable management guidance every single week. To receive additional materials via our newsletter and to find products for situations you may face as a manager or a professional, go to www.manager-tools.com. Search for Manager Tools on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. LinkedIn.